Hi, welcome back to the third episode of Making A Happen. I'm Steve. And I'm Nigel. And in this episode, Steve talks about what we did in Lansing High Street. And Nigel and I explain that mapping is back on the agenda and what we're going to do next. But first of all, why don't you join us as we start the podcast and we share how we're feeling. So how are you feeling, Steve? Well, actually, I'm, I'm a little bit hot because I just finished doing a one-hour workout and I, I rushed out of the workout into the shower and and now I'm kind of still cooling down. So I'm bubbling with energy, but feeling a bit warm. My morning routine, I never quite work out the timing of it, but I've been waking up really early. I've been meditating. By the time I finish meditating and having breakfast, I'm normally running late. So, <laughs> Even though I get up really early. I, I meditate as well. I mean, how long do you meditate for? 45 minutes. I, I do 15. I'm right. one of those people that's still on the beginner stage, but but I do find I enjoy it. Yeah, 15 minutes every morning when I get up with a bit of hot water and lemon before nice, I start nice. and then and then breakfast. But, you know, the, the thing that keeps me on time is having a dog. Right. You know, because there's a certain point where his patience runs out and we have to go for that walk. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had the discipline too because i wake up early but i don't actually get up so at the moment i'm listening to an audiobook or i'm just listening to radio or lying there thinking oh i wish i could sleep a bit more <laughs> <laughs> so so this is really interesting actually because i'm the exact opposite right <laughs> when i wake up i have to get out of bed i can't stay in bed oh. and i might read a book sitting down in the lounge or i might go for a walk but i just cannot stay in bed oh. it's really weird <laughs> I think that's really good. I mean, at the moment, because it's getting lighter and it's warmer and the sun's out, I actually would love to go outside <laughs> and go for a walk down to the beach or something, but can't quite bring myself to do it. Meditation We're, is like really, is really important for me. Right. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> what have we been up to? <laughs> what have we been up to? We've been busy. Yeah. I, I think we've had a really exciting time. Exciting. <laughs> I wouldn't call it exciting, but we did something. <laughs> Yeah, we did something. I thought of this idea, which I thought was really a neat idea to do something that was, I'm always trying to think of things that are a bit sort of off the wall. And then it felt quite off the wall to me. So it went against a lot of big corporate business approaches where you're in competition all the time. And it brought in the idea that um, in a forest, you have this relationship with everything around you and you all work together rather than do your own thing. I thought it was a great idea, you know, therefore, why not give away a few vouchers at uh, ASDA and at co-op to get people walking up and down the street. But then, you know, thinking about what to do, I wasn't so cool on that. But then you pushed me a bit and said, well, let's go out and actually do it and yeah. so that kind of made me think about well how would I actually assess this idea effectively and then I guess my engineering background kicked in a bit and I got excited about collecting some numbers and, and so we did we went out and we collected some numbers it was a bit cold though <laughs> it was a bit cold I was very impressed at how organized you were I mean you know giving me printed out sheets <laughs> to say exactly where to stand and for how long and then what to do I was very impressed and I didn't have to think about it which was great <laughs> that's years and years of training happens you know you can't lose those sort of things <laughs> when you're pouring concrete on a construction site if they don't put it in the right place it's a disaster well it worked i mean you know to go to lansing high street and to count the number of people wandering up and down in different locations i think your design for the process worked perfectly it was just incredibly boring <laughs> I can't believe I volunteered us to do it. Yeah, but you did make a few new friends, I understand, right? 
Yeah, I had a couple of people speak to me. I mean, I felt very self-conscious. I mean, it's funny that I sat there with a clipboard and a piece of paper kind of uh, noting the numbers down as people walked past. You were doing it on your phone. So it looked like you were texting or something. So yeah, I had a couple of people come up to me. One person, I mean, quite a few people walked past and looked at me kind of strangely like, what are you doing? One person said, morning. That was like, whoa, yeah, I got someone to speak to me. And somebody actually came up to me and, and said, what's the survey for? And when I explained, we were counting the number of people on the high street to see how many people use the high street. He said, oh, that sounds really interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to see the results. <laughs> so it was quite an interesting uh, experience. And I, and I think we did get some interesting data. We managed to collect at four different locations on the high street, one outside the ASDA and one outside of the co-op and two somewhere in the middle of the high street. People walking past for 15-minute segments over a four-hour period, some of them in the morning and some of them in the afternoon. So a bit of background, it was quite a cold day. Obviously, we've got COVID at the moment, so it's unclear how realistic these numbers might be in terms of a normal situation where everybody comes out shopping all the time. We did discover that there were a few things that weren't quite as I thought they might be. So I'll share those with you now just to give you a rough idea of what happened. What we discovered was that people coming to ASDA came in cars and they mainly left in cars. Now, the physical location of the ASDA is such that it's across a railway line from the main part of the high street. So it tended to be a place where people came and did a big shop and they tended to go home again. The co-op, on the other hand, is at the top of the high street. And then what was happening there was there was a lot more people coming to buy smaller things or do a smaller shop. On foot. Even though, sorry? On foot. On foot, that's right. Lots of elderly people with their trolleys. Few people came in cars, but there was a lot more people coming on foot. And they were coming both from the south and from the north into the shop. So there's something about the kind of shop which I hadn't really thought about in my original analysis. The kind of shop being that the co-op is more like a corner shop, even though it's quite a large supermarket. And the Asda is like a big supermarket, which is an interesting perception. I I guess people have a perception that Asda is cheap. And I don't know, what's people's perception of the co-op? That's a good question. It's friendly. What's your perception of the co-op? I don't know. I mean, they've got like a community feel and low quality, but I don't know if that's true. It's just... It's just an idea that I have. I mean, it's silly, really. I mean, the co-op, for me, feels a lot more ethical. Yeah. They've got a scheme where, if you remember the co-op, you get some points and they give money towards charities as a result. Yeah, I've um, never used that. I mean, it's worth it. And they, well, I feel better when I do it. Right. And then on top of that, they also have a local sourcing policy. It's a much better place. I mean, ethically, it's a much better place to, to shop in the co-op. I guess for me personally, if there was a co-op closer to me, I probably would go there rather than I'm going to admit that I often shop in Tesco's because it's literally five minutes walk from me. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. I mean, the, the good thing about this whole area is that as shoppers, we have infinite choice. I mean, you can go to the co-op, you can go to your local yeah. corner shop, you can go to the Harriet's of Hove, for example, if you don't want to have packaging. I've been to Harriet's of Hove, and yeah. I was impressed, actually. So I'm going to go back there more often. What always amazes me is how many supermarkets and shops like this that an area can support. I mean, who'd have thought that Lansing would be able to support two large supermarkets? Yeah, well, I mean, I think there's something in this about we don't know where the people that were going to the ASDA were coming from. Yeah. Yeah, because they were driving. So they might have come from further away, whereas the co-op clearly is quite dependent on the population of Lansing. 
Yeah. Because most of the people seemed to be walking there or they might have parked somewhere else. They were ex- absorbing or uh, taking the experience of the whole high street in because they walked into the co-op rather than just getting out of their car, going to the shop and leaving again. So it's a it's a tricky one. But the other thing just to share with you, so that I guess the first thing to say is that the idea that co-op would be, give um, vouchers out for ASDA and ASDA would give vouchers out for the co-op as a way of encouraging people to walk along the high street and therefore support the shops that are in the middle as well. That's right. And regenerate the community. And regenerate the community and encourage shops, etc. It may be a little flawed because it might be that most of the people that are going to the co-op are already on the high street, but well, isn't, isn't that, as there aren't. Isn't that what we encountered? We discovered that people actually walk quite a long way, at least half the high street to get to the co-op. That's right. So what we really need is for the ASDA to give out vouchers for the co-op. <laughs> Just to summarize what we actually did. So we actually did count the number of people. And I've got it here somewhere. Yeah. How many people? How many people? And so the total number of people that we counted in the 15-minute segments, plus using a, a simple linear interpolation between the data points to give us a curve, the total number of people that we think were in the high street in the four hours we were looking at it was around 1,500 people, which is quite a lot of people. Now, that might need quite might the same people. Um, I mean, so considering there's... Lansing High Street, for anyone who hasn't been there, is pretty quiet. <laughs> and, and we might have counted the same people several times. So there were 1,500 independent, if you like, counts would have been taken place, although a lot of that's interpolated. The total number that we actually, that we observed was probably, mm, that number is probably based on an actual observation of less than 400, yeah. <laughs> that's quite a stretch steve going to go from 400 to 1500 isn't it <laughs> well, yeah this is just yeah a okay of fun right and then the other thing that was interesting was that the improvement that you get if the people that were coming in cars went straight back to their cars and and instead walked on the high street could result in a 365 person increase if if around 50 percent of them didn't go straight back to their car so the interesting thing that we also identified was that early in the day and late in the day, a lot more people come by car and leave immediately by car. And in the middle of the day, a lot more people were on the high street. So the benefit you would get of increasing if more people got out of the car walking up and down the high street was much higher first thing in the morning and towards the end of the afternoon than it would have been in the middle of the day. You know, some interesting outcomes. I haven't really figured out what our next steps are. I mean, have you got any thoughts about what we might do with this information? No. <laughs> no? <laughs> no, I haven't. Sorry. No, I mean, it, no. Okay. I mean, you know, the other thing, the thing that I thought is Lansing High Street doesn't feel that great. You know, it's quite, there's not much nature there. It's not an inviting place to be. I mean, a lot of shops were shut because it's uh, coronavirus time. Hmm. You know, some were open. But, you know, if you want to get people to the high street, I'd make it a nice, you know, person, I'd make it a nicer place to be. You know, put more places to sit. I mean, there were quite a few places to sit, but put more trees and plants and things and make it a place you actually want to go to. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I guess one of the quite, one of the things we could think about, and this is a little harder to make a comparison on, but if you looked at somewhere like Shoreham, for example, mm. they have a pedestrianised component and they have a much busier high street as a result of that. So is it yeah. is that what, what's missing? Or does it only work if you've got a population that maybe has more disposable income? Because the other thing we observed was we got the impression that the people were all being careful, if you like, with the spends that they were yeah, It also seemed like an aging population. And yes. we didn't notice the... I can vouch for that, Nigel. Of... Say again? I said I can vouch for that. You're not old. Come on. <laughs> um, 
but also that loads of kids came out in the afternoon and they weren't there in the morning which is sort of interesting I mean it was you know it was kind of boring just sitting there counting people but it was sort of interesting as well just to notice that there were patterns and that there was something that we could discover by by doing it so I think as an experiment it was really useful and what we do with it I don't know I mean I think if you want to make some changes somewhere you've got to involve the people that live there I mean if we if your idea of handing out vouchers from one to the other is a way of encouraging people to walk up the high street it's an interesting idea and we kind of we haven't really tested it other than counting the people are in the high street to see what difference it could make but maybe maybe it's about making Lansing more of an or more of a destination or a place that people actually want to visit you know there's the the seafronts there's an amazing cafe on the seafront and there's a whole lawns and beach huts and it's very close you know there's the beaches right there and that seems to attract lots of people and there's parking there mm. and people miss out on the high street because why would you want to go there really <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, well the other the other challenge on that on that is that right at the junction with the seafront road is a, a tire replacement and a hand right. car wash, which is sort of like locks the kind of visual route, if you like, from the seafront up towards very, the high street. It's not very attractive. It's not very attractive. And the, oh, it's, it's funny, you've mentioned that several times in our conversations, not on the podcast, but I've always found that to be quite attractive, actually. There's something about <laughs> it that's quirky. I think what I like is, you know, I live in Brighton and it feels very commercial and it's very touristy and it's quite slick. I like walking away, getting away from Brighton and as you go along to um, Shoreham, towards Shoreham Harbour, it feels really industrial. Yeah, it does. It feels like another country. You know, in the summer, there's a road right in front of the, the port and the power station, a <laughs> huge power station there. That's right. That road, I really like it because it's really open and I feel like I'm in Spain or something. I don't know why, but there's something about having that tyre place on the front of Lansing that I also like for the same kind of reason because it's not slick or gentrified or something. Well, maybe I'm slipping into, a, you know, that less like an unconscious bias I have because I'm sort of slipping into a kind of thing that says, well, there's loads of people going to quite an upmarket cafe. Yeah. And then how would you get them to go up to the high street? And the first thing they have to do is walk past a bit of sort of industrial development, if you want to call it that. It's, yeah. it's sort of it sort of puts them off and they just go straight back to the car if you could actually get a few shops there's because there's a nice pub on the corner obviously it's not open right now and then there's a there was a row of shops along there by the pub but most of them have been turned into a tattoo parlor a funeral parlor and then a couple of them are you know sort of like empty shop fronts and things if they could make that into something a bit more exciting that that would be the starter to get people on the way up the road i mean isn't that what's happening everywhere you know, that's that's happening around me because the high street is is dying. I mean, high street retail is being killed by the Internet. And the places that are, you know, those shops that are they're changing into tattoo parlors and, and cafes and hairdressers and things like that. But which, you know, I mean, on the one hand, it's interesting because we talk a lot about getting people on the high street is about having experience. Right. Mm. And, and sort of like getting your hair cut and having a tattoo and stuff is kind of an experience rather than a purchase of a of a specific item it's a balance that you have to get right and i i think that's where the problem is becoming that people it's much harder to create a shopping experience in a way that adds value for people that they don't seem to get from just sitting home it might be harder now because everybody's got so used to buying everything by looking at a picture rather than seeing it in real life i mean it'll be interesting to see how things change as we go through this roadmap if we're able to open up anyway I think, the, I think the issue is around community, you know, that's, I mean, also 
what you're talking about is people walking up and down the high street. But what about places where people can stop and gather and meet each other? I mean, I think that's that's the kind of thing we need to bring back. Well, you know, but somewhere where people actually want to go. I mean, I guess it used to be pubs, you know, people you know, gather. You know, when you when you said we should have gathering points, I, I had this vision of little plexiglass cubicles set in circles with little megaphones so you could all stand two meters apart and not breathe on each other, but oh. still chat. Because this whole thing about getting people together is, is going to be really challenging going forward. Yeah. And, you know, the idea of just sitting on a bench with somebody has become rather, some people are quite frightened of it, in, in fact, which is a bit strange but it's i think we're changed forever so i agree with you though having some kind of additional activities would be good i mean i know for example in brighton that the council are are looking at providing cheap rental arrangements for artists in order to uh, use some of the empty shops to put displays in the windows and art in the windows to try and brighten up brighton as they say which yeah. is an interesting idea but it, you need to go further the other thing i think that you mentioned earlier, which I, I haven't really given much thought to, but I think it's interesting, is the fact there are a lot more young people in the high street in the afternoon. Mm. And maybe there's something you could do to engage them more yeah. in the high street as part of the whole process. Yeah, I think that sounds really that would that sounds really good actually. And that because might be really interesting, you know. What I noticed is that what I thought was they're wandering up and down the high street because they haven't got anything else to do. I think that's quite true. I mean, I also felt like it feels it felt quite polluted. I mean, sitting there kind of half a day, I really noticed pollution from cars. And if you're spending quite a lot of time on the high street, it doesn't feel that healthy. So, you know, if kids are wandering up and down the high street for hours at a time, I can't believe that that's kind of good for anybody. Really. No, I think so. The, the other thing is the environment isn't very inviting, but it isn't just like having a place to sit, for, for example. Yeah. It's like all the buildings are quite dark. There's no bright yeah. colours. There's no kind of vibrance going on. I expect if there were a couple of trees growing in the high street and some of the buildings were painted lighter colours or something, you, you might not feel there was quite so much pollution, even if it was the same level, because your perception is, it, it feels quite cold and dark. I'm, I'm trying to think of a way of putting it, you know, slightly yeah. not really giving not really giving you that exciting, vibrant feel about it. Well, it feels like a run-down sea, British seaside town. Doesn't it? I wonder about, you know, I mean, I've noticed this as well, that something about architecture, if you do something really amazing somewhere, it really draws people. If You know, what came to my mind was like Marwoods and Presuming Eds. Do you know that those cafes in Brighton that they've like, they, they turn these buildings into really quirky cafes, but they always paint the outside. So it really stands out like really bright colours or some dramatic graphic on the outside mm. that's kind of fun and quirky. And they're really successful because they're different and they draw people to them. And it's kind of like the i360 Millennium Wheel and doing these things that position somewhere that draw people. It really does work. So maybe that's what Lansing needs. Anyway, well, it's interesting. It's an interesting point. I mean, I think I think we need to keep this in the back of our minds and think about ideas. I think the young people things worth some thought in the future, and the attractiveness of the high street would be worth thinking. About. I mean, I really like your idea of pedestrianising it, but I do think that it'd be worth you know not doing anything without doing like a, either a community assembly or asking people in the community what they want or giving them some choices and and, and to getting a vote on it. You know, yeah. in fact, probably more to ask people for their ideas and. And, you know what they think about it and what they want to see because well, they're the people that live there and it's like 
you know, we could run a survey. I'll take that on board. Yeah. I wanted to tell you about uh, a friend of mine. It's not really a friend. It's someone uh, who I've worked with or has worked with me in the past, who I think is a complete and utter genius. Matt's Weston. He started or is one of the founders or directors of a, I don't know if they're a company or a non-profit or something called Space Makers. I think they are a company. And they do kind of regenerative product project and help revitalize areas they work with councils and they've done some really really interesting stuff really interesting and creative stuff in boroughs of london where they go and do something really quirky like they have a a mobile truck that i think it's like a mobile town hall so and they use it they sort of park on the high street and then they have like debates and conversations and they put chairs out and they invite people to come and listen to talks or to have conversations about issues. And then from that, they work out ways of regenerating places, like in small ways, but things that make a difference to communities. And I think that'd be really worth looking at. He's okay. a really interesting guy and he's, he, he did some consulting in my previous business and I thought he was an absolute genius. And if I could afford him, I'd be using him again. But he's done some really interesting things. So yeah, look, at, look up Space Makers. Okay, I'll look up space makers that may be something that we could have a go at if we could get a little grant from somewhere yeah i think something like that would be really fun yeah okay i'll take that on board but i also think the point you made earlier is that we need to get out and do stuff because it was really interesting to go out and, and do that I don't think that the um, idea of going for our first swim of the season during lunch hour was actually the attraction that got us out after the experience we had, because it was very cold. It was very cold. Have you been so, in- what about mapping? What have you been up to on that front? Anything? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've been busy. I've had a busy couple of weeks. Okay. What have you done? Well, basically, I took your idea of having the five categories, which was uh, producers, which are, and and I I changed it so that it was related to businesses, so I could apply it to some of the mapping that Circular Brighton and Hove had done a couple of years ago to identify circular businesses. So this Um, this is taking the idea of thinking like a forest. Thinking like a forest, yes. And taking the five categories that we identified as, as being elements of how a forest works. Yeah. I'm trying to apply that to a, to a system, a business system. That's right. And so I looked at what was going on in the, in the map for infrastructure of, the, of, of a city, right? This, was, this is Brighton and Hove now this is applied to. I'm yeah. not going to go into any particular ones. But what I did was... What, I mean, what do you mean by infrastructure of a city? Well, essentially, what I'm talking about is buildings infrastructure, mobility, logistics, energy, water, and waste management aspects of how the city works. So we buildings, transport, water. And these are businesses that are involved in those areas of of delivery within the city. We did other ones for food and we did other ones for various things, but I, I decided to look at the city's one to start with because I thought it had the most potential to kind of link it. Most of the people that are doing things with applying forests to thinking about what's going on in a city tend to kind of think about the structure and the relationships and how things move around to start with. So I thought that might be the place to have a go at this. Okay. So the way I did it was I looked at your producers and I thought that was businesses that are providing resources, which in this case seem to be mainly energy providers. Yeah, that makes sense. And then the connectors were businesses that uh, I they were sort of like kept things going was my take on how you, you put it. They kind of linked everything and passed knowledge around and things like that. And then distributors were any business that transported or aided movement, mainly of people, but also of products. Consumers were any businesses that used products and decomposers were any businesses transforming waste back into resources. 
Yeah, and I basically mapped, took the map we had, which was based around the circular economy of, in a circular economy, the cycle was design, business models, product life extension, waste as a resource, and resources, which are the five kind of business model concepts that exist for circular economy, and remap them into basically producers to distributors to consumers to decomposers, with the connectors kind of being in the center of that circle linking everything together at various points. Uh, and did that, and it, did that lead to, to businesses going into different categories than they were in, uh, did, it, did it produce a different kind of flow compared to the circular economy mapping? It, it did, yes. It produced a different kind of flow. I mean, the one area where the flow didn't really change very much was waste as a resource and decomposers kind of almost directly mapped onto it. Right. right? But things like product life extension, where something like the Barclays Eagle Lab, which is helping people to develop technology that allows life extension turned into a connector from being part of the being a, a component around the outside. So it, it, it became a connector. Similarly, what, what do you um, mean the Bar- Barclays Eagle Lab are doing life extension? What's that? Well, I mean, it was life extension of a product. So right, the okay. product, the product <laughs> stays in use longer. Sorry, did I not make that clear? No, no, it's cool. I just so, uh, so that was there. And then other things happened, uh, for example, in, in an area where we're looking at something like different types of business models in that area we had a lot of a lot of things that were like sharing for example you know the uh, brighton bike share for example so you've got that as a distributor i would have put that as a connector i mean looking i'm looking right. at the yeah i had that as a distributor because people are moving things around whereas i had crank's bike shop which is a bike repair shop as a connector because they connect they they help to make the bikes work to deliver people from different places being distributing people around yeah yeah, this is interesting because in a forest, it seems to me that the connectors are connecting the producers, not the other things. Whereas you've got, so I wouldn't necessarily put some, well, I don't know. I mean, I think it needs to, I'd like to think about it some more because I think, you know, what's who are connecting the producers or what's connecting up the producers? Kind of nothing. Well, I mean, I think that the challenge here, right, is that we're starting from a base of some information. So we're not we haven't set out to try and find everything that's going on. We started yeah. out by using a map of what was circular economy. And the challenge you set me originally was, well, is it possible to map this onto circular economy in some way that links it? Yeah. And so you're quite right. What it highlights is that in the circular economy model, there didn't appear to be anything that we could see that was linking, or, or I didn't initially see in my quick analysis, anything that was linking the producers. That doesn't mean there isn't something means I didn't see it or I interpreted it a certain way. So what what this suggests to me is that we should probably think about maybe for next time, we should try and have a little bit of a get together and work through this a bit more and see if we can come up with a slightly more robust, let's put it that way. I mean, also, it might not work just looking at sectors like you've chosen infrastructure and buildings and transport and energy. It might not work to separate those out from other things like food and whatever other sections the circular economy has. We, we could take all, we could do each of the segments and then we could just smash them together into one and see what that made up. That might, that might be an interesting kind of outcome because there's very few consumers in that model as well. But I, I think that that's probably, you know, thinking about a forest, there's probably, you know, if you think about the number of trees are probably less than the numbers of all sorts of other things. I mean, I don't know about connectors because you can't see them, although there are apparently miles and miles and miles of it under the ground. But in terms of insects, there's probably billions and, you know, other creatures. I mean, probably less, less 
birds. But... So, so what, what would be really interesting would be to do a little research to see how much of each thing there is. You need to decide the unit you want to measure it under, right? So if it's number of items, yeah. so there might be less trees than there are birds, I don't know, it'd be interesting to find out. That if you did it on, on mass, for example, the trees probably would be way more than the birds and the insects because they're much bigger and heavier. Yeah, yeah. So well, I suppose what I, my point, what is the point I was, that's the point I was make, wanting to make was it doesn't matter if they're loads more consumers than there are producers because that's just that's natural yeah well i agree and, and in fact but there weren't any which i thought was very strange there weren't any consumers there were very few and as a result of that i think that's down to the point you made earlier which is i was mapping something where the consumers didn't seem to be very much in in the picture as it were yeah well i wondered why i mean you've put brighton waste house one bright and passive pod on the earthship as consumers i mean i wondered i think It'd be good to, to find out your... Um, and the reason I did that was because they're all made from recovered resources. Right, okay. That they would, you know, and they're demonstrating using materials in a new way that was a second use. So they kind of consume something that came from a decomposer in a way. Right. So actually the arrows go the other way. Decomposers go to cons- to consumers, maybe. They could, yeah. They, they could go to consumers or they could go back to producers. Yeah, that's a good point. Maybe, maybe... Maybe when you get to decomposers, you bypass the producer and it goes straight back to the to the consumer again. Yeah. yeah maybe, really... it's not, maybe it's not a circular thing. It doesn't you know it doesn't work in a circular way. Okay. I still think that there's there's something here that if we could understand it a bit better, that there could be something quite exciting in trying to map how a forest works into how a city works. We've kind of played with it. Let's make the next uh, action to get together and make a serious attempt to apply apply the five categories to the stuff we've got about businesses in Brighton and Hove at the moment and see where that leads us. Yeah, that sounds good to me. I'd really like that. That'd be good. Okay, let's do it. Well, there you have it. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to send us feedback, have comments or questions, email us at makingahappen at gmail.com or on Twitter at makingahappen. And don't forget to join us next time at Making A Happen.